Not only do we gush about nerd stuff, but we also react to the oodles of news that seem to come out every single week, and this week is no exception. Hello and welcome to episode four. Wow, already four episodes of Nerd Explosion. I am your host, the Canon Clark himself, Sean Clark. And I am joined by the NAU nerd himself, John Wintrobe. John, how are you doing? I'm doing well. It is Friday here, so we didn't just have an episode of ReZero last night. So I had a full day to think about it. I'm not in as much pain as I might have been otherwise. Okay, that is good. Yeah, ReZero definitely is, is a very draining experience watching it. Before we talk about that, we have a lot of news to talk about. Yeah, so, lots of big stuff this week. Lots of big stuff. So let's start with the WandaVision trailer. WandaVision yep. trailer is a new series starring Scarlet Witch and Vision, played by Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany, respectively. It was a very awesome trailer. Before I talk about my thoughts, what are your thoughts on this trailer? I really like the visual style of the sitcoms um, themselves. It looks really interesting. And while I don't necessarily have a lot of knowledge on, like, the black and white sitcoms, I can very obviously tell what they're pulling from when it comes to the colored sitcoms like Roseanne and, and Full House and stuff like that. It's, it's very much inspired by those shows. And the way that the camera is shot, the way that the characters talk and react and all of that feels very much inspired by those. I really like that. It seems that the two that Wanda and Vision have zero memory of the or knowledge of the real world, which is likely being caused by Wanda's reality warping powers or fear of letting Vision stay dead. Yeah, obviously in Avengers Infinity War, Vision died. Mm-hmm. Thanos killed him. Well, technically Wanda killed him and then Thanos reversed time and then he killed Vision this time for good, which was a very rough scene to watch. It still hurts every time I see it. But yes, there's a scene in the trailer where Vision is tapped to tap this woman in a car and she has, am I dead? And he's like, no, why would you be? And she's like, because you're dead. And that scene really shows, yeah, this isn't attached to the real world and it's going to be a crazy show. Yeah, you know, based on that. Yeah, that was uh, Catherine Hahn's character who was only credited as a friendly neighbor, which makes me think that they're hiding the actual character that she's playing. Since she knew that Vision was dead, that's kind of a dead giveaway that there's more to her character than the cast list is showing. Yeah, it, it is. And I'm very looking forward to seeing where this show goes. Obviously... Scarlet Witch will be very prevalent in Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness, which will come out in 2022 now. So I'm very interested to see how this ties in, if it does, because there's a lot of theories that saying that it will be a direct tie-in. Some say it's not. We're not sure. I want to know where the series goes, but I'm very excited. Well, knowing the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it's probably going to tie into Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness in some way, considering that Scarlet Witch is going to appear in the movie as a co-star yeah. alongside uh, Ben yeah, Cumberbatch. We also see in the trailer that we uh, kind of a glimpse of a S.H.I.E.L.D. base, maybe? And we see Tayona Harris as Monica Rambeau, who, of course, um, first appeared... The character first appeared in Captain Marvel. She's the daughter of Maria Rambeau, Captain Marvel's best friend. Yeah, so I, 
I do lo- I do like that tie-in from Captain Marvel. A movie that was one of the weakest of the MCU, but to have continuity even from other films. I mean, we all know that the MCU is legendary for its continuity, and to keep it continuing is satisfying to see. Yeah. For a little history on Monica Rambeau, she was the first female Captain Marvel. She was the second... I believe she was the second character to don the mantle of Captain Marvel. When Carol took on the mantle, they changed her name to Photon, I believe. And she's a really cool character in the comic. She was last seen in an alternate universe, and her powers are very similar to Captain Marvel's. Very, very energy redirection-y and flight and stuff. What is the biggest thing from this show you were looking forward to seeing? I mean, I'm just interested to see what they do with Scarlet Witch's powers. Um, the show is very obviously inspired by both Brian Michael Bendis's House of M, which involved Scarlet Witch rewriting the universe twice, the first time to make mutants the dominant species on the planet instead of humans, and the second time to erase mutants from existence, mostly, getting rid of a lot of mutants' powers. Not necessarily, like, just straight up killing them, but, like, removing their superhuman abilities, making them not mutants. And it's also looking to be inspired by Tom King's run on Vision, which also had a very similar presence, where the Vision tried to have a family in a suburban house in order to try to warn more about humanity and what their daily lives are really like. The thing I'm most looking forward to with this show is just to see the chemistry of Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany. We did see their characters on the MCU, but together, maybe not as much. We did see them at some points in Civil War, saw them in Infinity War, but now that we get a lot more of them, I'm very excited to see that their chemistry and them building off of one another. Yeah, it definitely is going to be really interesting to see what they do with their relationship. Their relationship in the comics has always been kind of complicated. Most of this is due to Scar Witch's powers constantly warping reality and altering um, Vision's mind since he he ultimately is just a programmed robot that has a semblance of sentience. It also appears that the show is going to tackle Scar Witch creating children using her powers within this reality, and that is something that has happened in the comics where Scar Witch manifested a child using her powers that had DNA from Vision. So I'm curious what they're going to do with that in the show, because it does feel like they're going to tackle that. Maybe not directly, since it does appear that this is very much like an alternate reality that um, either Scarlet Witch is creating, or they're trapped in, or something along those lines. Yeah, as many different directions we they can go, and we are very excited for that. It definitely seems to be the most interesting of the various Disney Plus shows that oh, Marvel yeah. is making. Oh, I definitely agree with that. Speaking of the MCU, uh, we got some sad news this past week as the Eternals, Shang-Chi, and most notably Black Widow all have new release dates. They're all coming out in 2021. Black Widow was supposed to come out multiple different times this year, but due to the pandemic, it got pushed back, which is unfortunate. What do you make of this? Yeah, uh, Black Widow's original release date was May 1st, 2020, and it's now coming out over a year later, uh, May 7th, 2021. 
And this isn't surprising at all. After Muon's non-success in China and here in the U.S. on streaming platforms, Disney definitely didn't want to pull another thing like that again, especially for Black Widow, which is probably going to be one of their biggest money makers next year. So getting an official Vita release is likely a direct effect of Muon not bringing in as much money as Disney would have liked. Because of this, because of this release date change, Shang-Chi is now going to release July 9th because it was originally going to come out May 7th, which is now filled by Black Widow. So they're only going to come out two months apart. That's kind of crazy. And that actually isn't as big of a change as I thought it would be. It also means that Shang-Chi is now going to come out before Eternals, which is now releasing November 12th, 2021, which is also a year after its original release date, which was supposed to be November 6th of this year. Honestly... I do like the fact that MCU is kind of taking a break when we're actually not going to get a single MCU film release in 2020, which is mind-blowing considering that we basically grew up with, with multiple MCU movies every single year. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's kind of a nice reset after Spider-Man Far From Home, which kind of served as an epilogue film to Avengers Endgame while setting up the future. So... While I don't like the circumstances, obviously, to have a year reset and then start knocking out more MCU movies in 2021, I think actually makes the whole universe flow very well. It's really going to feel like, okay, this is the start of something new. This is going to be the beginning of the next phase of the MCU in 2021. So it does work out in that regard, I think. Yeah, that's the issue with the MCU being films is that unlike the comics because they're so mainstream and there's so the audience for it is so big that it can kind of start feeling a bit much when they're releasing so many movies per year we're supposed to get three mcu movies every year starting in 2021 which is still the case and that's kind of daunting so it's really good that we have a year break this also makes it so that 2020 is the first year since 2009 without a single marvel studios release insanity yeah that's crazy because of course we got iron man in 2008 and thor and captain america the first avenger in 2011 with iron man 2 in 2010 so it's crazy to think about that it is and honestly i really am looking forward to black widow just because you know it will be a prequel in old in watching that movie and then going back and watching the other MC movies, especially Avengers Endgame, is going to have more emotional weight in those. Yeah. All right. So, Winthrop, there was something that happened that was announced about 30 minutes ago. Yeah, we had breaking it? news right before we started filming the podcast. We're getting a Nick Fury Disney Plus series starring the Samuel Jackson. This is very exciting. Yeah, we have no official title, we don't have a release date, we don't have a production date. We don't even have writers or directors or even a full cast list, but we do know that Kyle Bradstreet, the showrunner of Mr. Robot, will be the showrunner for Nick Fury. Which sounds good to me, considering how successful that show was. Yeah. (laughs) I've seen the first few episodes of Mr. Robot. It definitely was really good, but wasn't uh, my cup of tea. Yeah. And the, the fact that Samuel Jackson is coming back, he wouldn't do something like this if he didn't feel like it was going to be good or successful. So it's definitely going to be a very exciting show. Well, obviously, we don't really know much. So all I can say is I'm very intrigued. 
and I'm excited just to see more Samuel Jackson's Nick Fury. I'm hoping that it takes place either after Captain Marvel or within the few years before the events of the MCU kick off. That's what I'm hoping. I think that it's more likely that it will be a teaser to a Secret Invasion storyline. Because at the end of uh, Spider-Man Far From Home in the end credit scene, we see Nick Fury working with the Skrulls in space. So I feel like it's going to be a precursor to that because it seems like they're going to be aiming towards a Secret Invasion twist with the Skrulls actually turning out to be evil. Which, and why would Nick Fury be working with them, though? Uh, because it makes his life easier. Because he doesn't have to make public appearances. I thought this was kind of obvious in Spider-Man: Far From Home. No, I know, but I'm, I'm just, I'm just setting up to like that's an intriguing storyline. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure that it's going to be a lot of the political intrigue. Maybe, maybe Nick Fury figuring out what they're actually doing, and that not all of the scrolls are good. It would be an interesting twist on the Secret Invasion storyline from the comics. So that'd be really neat. I'd really like that. I have no idea if that will actually be the case, but it'd be cool if it was. So, obviously, the biggest thing in DC right now, movie-wise, that is coming out is James Gunn's Suicide Squad, which everyone and their mother seems to be very excited about, which, for good reason. The trailer looked really fun. The cast looks incredible. Oh, my gosh. The cast is absolutely loaded. James Gunn being involved in this film makes it intriguing alone considering how great he did with gardens of the galaxy volume one and two and we now have a spin-off show with john cena's character which will come out on hbo max and it'll be written and directed by james gunn yeah your thoughts on that yeah it's going to be eight episodes long james gunn wrote every single episode during his quarantine since he didn't have anything else better to do <laughs> he's going to be directing several episodes of the show but he will not be the only director and of course will be about the character that will appear in james Gunn's the suicide squad the peacemaker played by john cena as mentioned earlier and the suicide squad will release august 6 2021 and we also know that james Gunn will be doing guardians of the galaxy volume 3 and he has stated that this show will not affect the release of that movie so it will probably come out in 2022, near the end of the year, or in 2023. So it'll take place after Suicide Squad. No, it'll take place out. before Suicide Squad. It's a prequel series. I mean, like, release-wise. Yes, release-wise, it comes out after the Suicide yes. Squad. But it takes place in, in the film-wise before Suicide Squad. Yes. Probably because the character's going to die. But Ooh. that's just an assumption. Spoiler alert. I mean, it's a movie called The Suicide Squad. James Gunn has stated that most of the cast is going to die and that we shouldn't mm -hmm. get past to any of them. So saying that Peacemaker's probably going to die isn't that big of a spoiler. <laughs> no, not really. He's played by John Cena. Like, <laughs> yeah. are we supposed to take this character seriously? Probably not. No. No. I mean, he might be more serious than Polka Dot Man, but... <laughs> I mean, is that really saying much, though? Not really. Exactly. And I, I looked into uh, the Peacemaker character a little bit, and what I've gotten is he basically is a kind of an anti-hero vigilante who fights dictators and warlords. Yes. Much like most of the cast of the Suicide Squad, he's a very 
not even C-list villain. He's like a D or E-list, like, anti-hero within DC's comics. He very much is like a more malicious version of Captain America, and he's had a few appearances over the years. But I don't know if he's ever appeared in the Suicide Squad comics. Yeah, I've never heard of Peacemaker before that, and most people haven't either. I like, haven't. The fact I had that zero you, knowledge of this character before the movie trailer and cast the, announcement. You know, Intro, considering the fact that you didn't know that is very surprising considering you know a, a lot about the comics. So that really goes to show just how unknown this character is. So yeah. it's cool we're doing a TV series. Yeah, it definitely, cool. James Gunn will definitely have a lot more freedom with this character considering that he's such an unknown. He can basically write the character from scratch, kind of similar to what he did with most of the members of the Guardians of the Galaxy. So that's exciting. Oh, absolutely. In more grim DC news, Supergirl is getting a final season. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, so Melissa Benoist announced on her Instagram that the sixth season coming out next year um, will be the show's final season. And honestly, I'm not super surprised about this. We've seen that most many of the CW cast feel like they're being taxed within their roles. It's why Arrow, not just Arrow, but it's why the actress playing um, Batwoman left her role because she felt like she was being overtaxed within it. I know Stephen Amell has kind of talked a bit about it, but that's not the sole reason Arrow ended because it was going on a long time and they were running out of ideas mm -hmm. very obviously. I am not too disappointed about this. I've never been the biggest fan of Supergirl, mostly due to how the show deals with most of the characters from the Superman mythos, especially Superman himself, oh, who feels... Okay. As much as I like Tyra Hochwin in the role, he, like, his, he brings like, the personality of Superman to the table, but he is extremely depowered. Supergirl constantly overshadows him, which should not be the case. They should be equals. Within the show, they're both Kryptonian. They both have the same exact set of powers. There's no reason for them to make Superman look so weak. I also really don't like what they did with most of the villains within the Superman mythos, especially characters like Parasite or Red Tornado or Martian Manhunter. It felt like a lot of the characters within Supergirl, except for Supergirl herself, were shadows of their comic book counterparts, and I really never liked that. On top of that, a lot of the storylines that Supergirl used within the show were taken directly from Superman stories. Um, the most blatant one being, um, um, which of course is famous within the comics for being a story about Superman's birthday where he receives a gift that allows him to see what his life would have been like if Krypton hadn't gone destroyed. And I really did not like Supergirl's version of the story. Not only did they change a lot of elements of it, keeping um, Supergirl's memories of the real world, and which gets rid of the element of, of her actually wanting to stay there because she's actively trying to leave during the whole thing, which completely contradicts the point of the story. The point of, the, of that specific story is that Superman doesn't want to leave, and he has to in order to come back to the real world because it needs him. 
honestly, the fact that Supergirl is ending is not surprising. It also should have happened four seasons ago. I'll be honest. I stopped watching after season two because of something you mentioned. She constantly overstate over. Uh, Superman is constantly overshadowed by Supergirl. In the season finale of season two, Superman and Supergirl have a fight because Superman is hallucinating that she is General Zod. And Superman gets wrecked. And I'm sorry. What? That is That was absolutely terrible. It angered me so much that I immediately stopped watching the show. And since then, it's been a typical CW mess from everything I've seen and, and heard. Here's the thing about CW shows. And I'm also going to bring Riverdale into this as well. Yes, we, yes, I am bring, talking about Riverdale. I am crazy. I know. The, Riverdale's first season is great. The first half of season two is great. Arrow, the first two seasons are great. And the fifth season's really good, too. Fifth season is really good, too. Seasons, season four is utter garbage. The Flash, the Flash, the first two seasons are very good. Legends of Tomorrow, season one is exceptional. Okay. Season, I, season two of Legends of Tomorrow is really – actually, I would say the first three seasons of Legends of Tomorrow are pretty good. It I just starts to get really out there and silly, which is definitely not for everyone. I think that's the only superhero show on the CW that had more than two consecutively good seasons. Season two is definitely good. I would definitely agree with that. But season three, it just started to get really bizarre, and it didn't fully work for me. But season two was good. It just wasn't as good as the first season. I especially after killing uh, Captain Cold, which I thought was a dumb decision. Agreed, but for the story of Legends of Tomorrow, and since they were going in the direction of making him an anti-hero, that was the best decision for them to make. The worst decision is that the Flash chose to do nothing with the rogues. That's not on the writers behind Legends of Tomorrow, that's on the writers for the Flash. This is true, but regardless... The theme of my original point still stands. The first couple seasons of all these CW shoes, including Riverdale, were fantastic. The problem is, after those points, the, the quality started to decline big time. Especially two examples. Arrow season four is one of the worst seasons of a TV show I have ever seen. The, there was almost nothing redeeming about it whatsoever. And same goes for Riverdale Season 3. Riverdale Season 3 was so bad. It was, I can't emphasize enough how bad it was. There was one good episode where they flashed back to their parents in school. They were played by the actors of their children. That was a great episode. Other than that, oh gosh, it was terrible. So... Supergirl falls into this. Season one was good, but it was even season one. It was it was the weakest compared to the other shows. So it just had to end at some point. And the fact that it was super taxing, yeah, it deserved it. Good riddance. I'm gonna be real. I think the only good episode of Supergirl's first season is to team up with Flash. Oh, the that rest was so of it. Good. The rest of it ranges from just okay to bad. 
I don't think that there's any other good episodes outside of that team up. Even though I did like season one, I can't fully disagree with that either. It was just it was just something new and neat, but yeah, Super, Supergirl is not a show that like oh yeah that's a great show oh I, I this is a masterpiece no I don't no that's not the case at all for Supergirl yeah and all of the CW shows suffer from um, the characters being nothing like they are in the comics. And that is probably one of my biggest issues with all of these shows, especially Supergirl, um, which is probably the most blatant about it. I mean, just look at what they did the Red Tornado in season one. That's all you need to know. <laughs> Ugh. That's all I'm going to say about that. Now let's transition from the show in DC to film in DC. So obviously, Justice League was another mess. It bombed at the box office. I didn't even go see it in theaters. I sadly I, saw it in theaters. You poor soul. I've seen well, worse movies in theaters. So, What, like The Rise of Skywalker? I don't know if I would say The Rise of Skywalker is worse than Justice League. <laughs> um, but I, have seen, I did see The Last Airbender in theaters. <laughs> so Wait, that's all you need to know. I didn't know that. Oh, Okay, that is the worst movie ever made. My sincere condolences for that. I mean, it's pretty bad. I don't know if I would necessarily say it's the worst movie ever made. I'd say that maybe The Room might get that award. Or At least The Room is watchable. I, from a negative it is connotation, I, I guess. Um, <laughs> that's, I, I mean, I can't necessarily disagree with the fact that it is watchable just not from like a conventional standpoint see the room is so bad it's good making it watchable the worst movies in my opinion are the so bad that it's just so bad and not to mention insulting to one of the greatest tv shows ever made that's why i think it's the worst movie ever yeah that's understandable i'm sure that fans of dragon ball and death note can agree with you Oh, I mean, yeah, Dragon Ball Evolution's also really bad too. Just, just go, just look up Dragon Ball Evolution. Chris Duckman, it's gold. Trust me. Yeah, those Chris videos curiosity is pretty good. Oh, lie. The, that 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 he has multiple videos about Dragon Ball Evolution. All of those are gold. Just, just, just go look at that. It's gold. Anyways, we've gone on a tangent. Just let's talk about Justice League. Yeah, Justice League was an utter bomb at the box office. Almost no one loved it. Considering there are many great animated Justice League films, this movie was terrible. I saw it on when it when it released on streaming services, and dear, ugh, it was not. It was not good. It looked terrible. The acting was decent at times. Uh, what was up with Superman? I don't even want to talk about him in the movie because it was so bad. I actually don't mind what Joss Whedon did with Superman. I'm going to be honest here. I think that it was fine. It definitely suffers from the fact that Zack Snyder's version of Superman is very much not what I would say is the ideal Superman for me. That doesn't mean that it's bad. I just would, I prefer the, the very like honest, truth and justice, heroic, pure Superman which is what Joss Whedon wrote for Justice League. That's far from my complaints with Justice League. I don't mind what he did with Superman. 
I mind the visual look of the reshoots, but not how he was written. Regardless how we feel about the movie, we are getting a Justice League Snyder cut. Yes. So we, we have new scenes. Yes. And we have Ben Affleck and Ray Fisher are confirmed to appear in reshoots. Henry Cavill and most likely Gal Gadot will not. So what are your thoughts on this? I, they are still expecting Gal Gadot to appear, but Henry Cavill has specifically said that he will not be returning for this. So that likely means that all of the scenes will be pre-shot footage. The movie is coming in for reshoots later this year with a budget of $70 million, which wow. we're used to movies having like $100 million budgets, so this might not seem like a lot of money. But $70 million is more than the budget of the first two John Wick movies combined. That's, that's a lot of money to spend on reshoots. Yeah, that's insane, and especially on a reshoot. I mean, it, it could be good, but I don't know how necessary this is. I mean, I'm interested. I think a lot of this is due to Snyder having way more freedom with this than he did when he was originally making it back in – 2015, 2016, 2017-ish. So this also means that Zack Snyder might have lied when he said that the movie was already finished in interviews before it was confirmed to be happening. Hmm. Interesting. I would take all of Zack Snyder's interviews before the Snyder Cut was confirmed with a grain of salt now. Because it likely will not be the same movie that we've got in script weeks and stuff for. It seems that he's definitely going to be changing elements of the story, the fit, whatever new vision he has and whatever new freedom he has. I'm interested to see what new scenes are going to be added. I'm also very interested to see how the film flows as a whole. I don't know how much better it will be, but um, I'll give it a shot. I'll it can't it be any worse than the theatrical cut, right? No, no. <laughs> Like, this, this is a fact. Like It's going to at most be as good, in quotation marks, as Batman versus Superman. That's not saying much. BVS is fine. The ultimate cut is somewhat good. I still have issues with it, but like it's definitely better than the theatrical cut of BVS. So at most, I think that I will find it acceptable. I see. That's okay, though. We're getting lots of other better DC movies like James Gunn's The Suicide Squad and the sequel to Shazam and Wonder Woman 1984 and Aquaman 2 and uh, Black Adam with Dwayne The Rock Johnson. So I'm perfectly fine with this just being okay. How about we talk about a good film? Like, I don't know, Knives Out? Probably the best film to come out in 2019. I would say it's second behind Parasite. Agreed. And even topping Avengers Endgame, which I never thought would happen after seeing Endgame for the first time. But yeah, Knives Out is, in my opinion, the second best film in 2019. I think it is your second as well, also behind Parasite. Yeah, it's also the best film Rian Johnson has ever made. Oh, definitely. Although I still need to see Looper. Uh, a movie that a lot of people love that is definitely on my list. Rupert's good, but it's not as good as The Last Jedi. 
Oh, boy. Well, I don't want to go on that tangent. But Knives Out was a phenomenal murder mystery that starred Daniel Craig as Benoit Blanc, who is a who is basically a detective who investigated the murder of of Harlan from yes. from uh, the first Knives Out movie, and now it appears Benoit Blanc has another case. Yeah, we're getting a sequel to Knives Out, which has been announced for a while. We've known that we're going to get a sequel to the first movie, especially considering how long its legs were in theaters. It was in theaters for like four months or something, which is crazy. That's insane. Um, but this sequel will feature a unique title and a completely new cast, as Ryan Johnson um, stated on his Twitter. And we are going to see the return of Daniel Craig as Benoit Brock. Yeah, so basically it's going to be a completely new case, and the fact that we're getting a new cast just adds to the intrigue of this film. I'm really looking forward to seeing what the case is. Apparently it's a mind fill-in-the-blank, so that's cool. I'm very interested to see what the, what the case will be and how it will be different from the first film. Yeah. Are there any actors that you'd like to see in this sequel that we didn't see in the first one? You know who would be great, I think, alongside Daniel Craig, and I think would actually be a great fit? Tom Ooh. Hardy. Yeah, actually, that would I, – yeah, Tom Hardy would be awesome. I'd be totally okay with that. Yes, I would, I would like Tom Hardy to be, like, the secondary character, kind of like what Chris Evans was in the first film. I think Tom Hardy alongside Daniel Craig would just be awesome. I don't know why that just popped into my head, but Tom Hardy – I just like seeing Tom Hardy in films. But the other actor I'd love to see just – I mean, I'm a sucker for this guy right now, and in, in about a week we're going to watch his newest film, which is on Netflix, but but Robert Pattinson in here as well. I mean, I just want to see him in every movie because he is incredibly in amazing. So those are my two choices. To see – if it weren't up to me, I would like to see Adam Driver in this sequel. Adam Driver would be really great. He showed in Star Wars that he is a phenomenal actor, despite not having to work with much. So if he gets a stellar script like the first film, then, oh, we're, we're in for a good time. Yeah, and he was terrific in Marriage Story. So. Movie I still need to see. That about does it for all the, the latest news. We are now going to transition to our final two segments, which are returning segments. Once again, no fruits basket, which is very upsetting, but we still had JoJo's with our adventure in ReZero, so we're going to close out this episode by talking about those two shows. First, ReZero. Yes. Such a, another really good episode of ReZero this week. Uh, this was Season 2, Episode 5, The First Step of Long Journey, or Episode 30 of the show overall. And this picks up right where episode 29 left off with Subaru talking with Echidna in the classroom. Yeah, I I still don't care for Echidna yet. She seems very annoying and just a nuisance. However, there is some good aspects, especially where she did allow Subaru to get closure with her with his parents. So that's neat. That's nice. Yeah, but, it seemed that she was surprised that he was so grateful about it instead of being mad at the whole thing being a construct of Subaru's imagination and his parents not actually being there. Yeah. 
This is true. I'm just wondering what she's doing here or what point she serves. But there's still plenty of time to to alleviate those concerns for me. Yeah, we but, still have seven episodes left of the first half of season two. Yes. So something better happen because I don't because she is front and center in the poster, and I don't get why she she doesn't seem she doesn't seem special so far. Yeah, right after they had their conversation, Subaru of course wakes up in the hallway and sees that Amelia is still asleep and the, seems to be having a like really terrifying nightmare because she's calling out and crying and weeping and seems terrified. And when she does wake up, it appears that she's emotionally traumatized by whatever she faced in their past. Yeah, that was very heartbreaking to see, to, yeah. to, be, to be honest. The fact that she was, she seemed genuinely shook was not easy to watch. Yeah. I imagine that this likely is due to her parents and her being persecuted from a young age due to her being half-human, half-elf. Yeah. Which has been hinted at a lot, especially in the first season. So I'm interested to see if we're going to get more of that in the next episode, but who knows? Yeah, the, the, she doesn't seem to have a full grasp or clarity on her past, so I think that's the biggest reason why she freaked out like that. Yeah, and I think one of the lessons that the show is kind of telling here is that you don't always need to accept your past. Sometimes it is better to just forget and move on. And I feel like that's going to be a lesson that Amelia will have to face here. Yeah, which isn't going to be easy. Yeah, which is kind of interesting. It's nice that we're seeing both sides of this issue because we got, in the last episode, we got Subaru facing his past and accepting it and learning from his mistake. And I feel like Amelia is going to have the opposite lesson, which is good. It's nice to see the multiple point of views, especially with this kind of analog of them literally experiencing their past again. Yeah, and this episode was it was very was set up a very dreary atmosphere, very somber atmosphere, especially after what would happen after Amelia woke up freaked out. Yeah, Subaru, of course, being Subaru manages to convince Amelia to attempt the trial again, which might not have been the best decision, but it's kind of, Amelia's right. It is kind of hard to say no to Subaru when he is being so supportive of her. So, the power of love. Yeah, the power of love. But Subaru is probably not in the right to try to get her to do it again after how emotionally taxing it was for the first time. Yeah. And of course, when she does it again, the same thing happens. If anything, she's even more emotionally wrecked, but at least she actually wakes herself up this time instead of being stuck in the in the nightmare. Well, that's good at least. Yeah, I guess it might be progress, but I mean... Not much. Yeah, I'd say that like walking, crying, tearful about what you experienced in this nightmare is probably not a positive thing. Of course, after this, Subaru talks with Roswell because Roswell wants to confront him about completing the Sanctuary mission himself, considering that, unlike Amelia, he did pass the first trial. And, oh boy, oh yeah, boy. From, Let it out, Winter. Let it out. From this, Let it out. we learned that Roswell purposefully did not intervene during any of the witch cult stuff at the end of the first season during the third arc. 
which of course directly resulted in not only many character deaths, but also Rem being comatose and Grush having none of her memories. So naturally, Subaru was really not happy about this, and neither were either of us. <laughs> no, that is completely terrible. I was like kind of on the fence with Roswell before this, because he kind of seemed a bit malicious after the royalty selection during the first season. But now I'm, like, genuinely, like, screw this guy. He is awful. And I get why he was doing this. He did this so that a million Subaru would grow and prevail over the witch cult and be the heroes. But, like, best girl is in a coma because of this. And I can't accept this. This is awful. And the cherry on top of all this crap is that Rom defends Roswell's actions primarily due to the fact that she has zero memory of Rem. I guarantee you that if Rom remembered Rem, she would be as mad, if not more so, than Subaru. This is awful. Yeah, I hate this. No, this is, I hate it terrible. Here. I <laughs> hate this. This is only pain. This show is only pain. Oh, it's terrible. Oh, it's absolutely terrible. Yeah, Roswell is officially the worst. Yeah. Uh, Subaru is validly angry. I'm very much like... I was I was uh, a bit, like, mad at Subaru for how he dealt with the Amelia situation, but this kind of made me 180 on that. And be like, no, 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 no. This man is justified in, his, in all of the things that he's doing. Yeah, because at least he doesn't do stupid, like, terrible things like Roswell. Yeah, Roswell literally like, oh my God. like Roswell's the second most powerful character in the show that we've seen. Like, if he had helped, he could have stopped all of this crap from happening. Subaru wouldn't have had the fight Petal Goose multiple times. We wouldn't have gotten like most of the death in the first season. But on the other hand, he is right in the fact that it did further Subaru's growth. Subaru definitely wouldn't be the person that he is now if it wasn't for all the stuff he went through during that third arc of ReZero. I don't care. How dare you, Roswell? How dare you? Yeah, no, I agree. He's awful. But, like, I, I, don't, I don't disagree with his reasoning. That doesn't mean that he's justified. It just means that he's not wrong in the fact that the ends did end up justifying the means. With that further rage ensues. Yeah, that doesn't mean I'm happy about it. <laughs> yeah, all the all the rage, all the rage. Yeah. Anyways, after this, Subaru of course comes up with a plan to move all of the human, the non demi human population of Sanctuary back to the village outside Roswell's mansion. It takes two days for him to convince Garfield, which is oddly specific. And I wonder if this could have an implication in the future. Hmm, I guess we'll have to find out. It's just like something like, oh, suddenly, oh, I convinced Garfield. Oh, we're going out. I'm like, what? Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, what's going on here? Yeah, and Subaru returns to the mansion, only to find it completely empty with all the doors open. And Frederica and Beatrice don't greet him at the door, which is real weird. He immediately, of course, thinks of Rem, because of course he does, <laughs> and runs to her room, and on the way, he trips and falls, and notices that some of his intestines are falling out of his stomach, and we see a very familiar blade near his face. 
Oh, no. And it is Elsa, the Bell Hunter, everyone's favorite malicious, evil person that we had to deal with in the very first arc of ReZero. She's back. And I'm sure that we're all very grateful about that. Oh. I'll be honest, I completely forgot about her. And then when she returned, I immediately was like, oh, fill in the blank. Followed by another expletive. Oh, no. Yeah, this, no, this is, is terrible. This is this is this show is only pain. I kind of forgot about how painful this show was after the emotions that I felt in the last episode. It is very unforgiving. And yeah, Subaru dies for the first time in this arc. The first time since the first episode of season two, which was the last ep- the last episode of the third arc of the show. So I'm curious where the respawn point will be. I imagine that it's after he woke up from his trial in the sanctuary because it would be weird if they made him go through that again. Yeah, it, 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 ha- it would have to be after. Yeah. I guarantee you that he will be doing many things different. I definitely believe that he's probably not going to have that conversation with Roswell again because there's no point. Yeah. I'm interested to see which characters he'll spend more time with this time around. I imagine that we're going to get more screen time with Rom, considering how much um, time we got with Amelia this last episode. But that's just my thinking. Well, Rom is not exactly the nicest person, so... I mean, yeah, but she's brutal in the way that Subaru needs her to be. This is also true. Like, as as great as Rem is, as great as Amelia is, they both are very, like positive and lift Subaru up. They, they feed him compliments and all of that. They're very supportive of him. And he needs someone like Ron to tell him that he isn't perfect so he doesn't stay on his hide horse of pride, which we've seen happen many times throughout the show. This is true. This is very true. Yeah, Ron brings him back to Earth. And she might be a little unforgiving and a bit rude sometimes, but it's what he needs. Yeah, he definitely does. I'm interested to see where the respawn point is and what he does differently. Yeah, big sad. So, Ray Chase is the voice actor of Roswell, who yes. made us very upset. Yes. Let's uh, let's talk about the other show where he is also a prominent voice actor, which is JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Golden Wind, where he is the voice of Bruno Bucciarati, who, oh, he is on Death's Door. But, yes, we got a new episode of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Golden Wind. <laughs> I mean, that's a... I'm going to be real. That was a pretty odd trans, uh, transition considering the fact that Ray Chase has zero lines in this episode because his body's kind of weighing on the ground doing nothing. <laughs> well, the fact remains he is still Bruno Bucciarati, but, yeah, he is on Death's Door. Well, maybe it isn't actually Bruno that's on Death's Door. Oh, because we have a little uh, body exchanging shenanigans going on. Oh, break it down, break it down, break it down for us. So this is episode 34, Golden Wind, episode 147 overall, The Requiem Gently Plays, part one. The episode, of course, begins right after the last episode ended with Diavolo pursuing what appears to be an upgraded silver chariot, full shadowy and black, moving really slowly, very menacing. And Diavolo and most of Rome slowly falls asleep, like we do the Silver Chariot's new abilities. 
And when they wake up, it appears that everyone has swapped bodies with another living thing, whether human or not. Oh, boy. Which leads to some hilarious comedy. Yeah, I gotta tell you, the dub voice actors, especially Sean Chepwalk and Lizzie Freeman, the voices of Mista and Trish, did a phenomenal job with this episode. It is hilarious, and I loved every second of it. Oh, it, it was absolutely hilarious. So Mista and Trish swap bodies, and there is so much entertainment. Now, it's basically a way more absurd version of Your Name. Your Name yeah. does it in a... There's there's some hilarious and cute moments in there, but but your name obviously is wholesome. The movie, yes, this but, is very much played off for laughs. Um, yes, it's particularly hilarious seeing Mista react to being inside a female body, and of course the most Mista way possible. <laughs> and oh yeah, Trish constantly making fun of how gross Mista is. <laughs> Not just, like, inside her own body, but, like, how gross Mista's own body is. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And not to mention Mista with with uh, having Trish bite. He is, let's just say, you know, searching his new body. Yeah. And Trish is horrified by this. Yeah, exploring his new particulars. In a kind of roundabout way that naturally Trish would not be very happy with. <laughs> Oh, it, it is absolutely hilarious. Also, uh, Narancia and Giorno switched as well. Yeah, and I gotta say, Patrick Reich did a really good job copying Kyle McCarley's mannerisms as Narancia. I totally bought that that was Narancia in Giorno's body. And same thing for Kyle McCarley. He pulled off the kind of stoic, like emotionless personality of Giorno pretty well. Yes. All of these swaps were fun. However, none was as incredible. None was as hilarious. None was as absolutely jaw-dropping, rolling on the floor laughing hilarious as I can't even keep a straight face while saying this, but I'm going to say it. Ponoref was speaking through a turtle. Yeah, yeah, Ponoref. Ponoref uh, apparently is, uh, is now a turtle. As he has uh, swapped bodies with Coco Jumbo, which does mean that Coco Jumbo's dead. Rest in peace, Coco Jumbo. Since Coco Jumbo wouldn't have been in Polnareff's body. Big sad. Polnareff is speaking through a turtle, and every time he spoke, I was dying of laughter. It was, it was so hilarious. I loved every second of it. Even I think the, the best part is that Polnareff is completely serious during all of this. I know! Like... <laughs> Like, he's, he's saying, like, so many serious things, and I, and I was just sitting there like, okay, dude, this is absolutely hilarious. I know this is serious stuff. We're approaching the final fight, but I'm sorry. This is absolutely hilarious, and I love this. This is the best way to deliver exposition. Just have your, tur- have your character turn into a turtle. Problem solved. Makes all of the exposition exponentially more hilarious. Oh, man. Uh, that, that was a great laugh. I was thrilled, to say the least. Is this the most bizarre thing that's happened in the show? Yes. Maybe. I would say maybe. Yes. There's definitely some things that would contest this. There definitely definitely would be, but I'm sorry, this takes the cake. This is definitely one of the weirdest things to ever happen to JoJo's, and I'm all for it. This is awesome. I love Turtle Polnareff so much. 
Turtle Polnareff. <laughs> Polnareff does announce to the group and tell them a few bits of uh, important information. A few bits of uh, quite a central backstory. And what would that be? Well, we learned that after his defeat at the hands of Diavolo, Polnareff, of course, was stuck in a wheelchair, hiding out away so that he wouldn't get, you know, killed by Passione. And he accidentally loses the stand arrow between a wall and the, and the desk in the most Polnareff way possible. Mm-hmm. And that's where because he's in the wheelchair, it's kind of hard to reach. So he uses Silver Chariot to go and reach for the arrow, and some weird stuff happens. Th- he, that, that's one way to put it. Yeah, Silver Chariot, of course, turns into the shadowy type stand that we saw at the end of the last episode and the beginning of this one. And Polnareff calls this a Requiem stand and states that if a stand is pierced by the arrow. It becomes more powerful and is gifted near godlike abilities. And Silver Chariot House has godlike abilities. Yeah, it literally puts everyone to sleep within a large radius around it and then swaps their bodies. It literally swaps people's souls around. That's a pretty OP power. On top of the fact Extremely. that they can't control it. That would have been very interesting if this wasn't Stardust Crusaders. I couldn't help but think that. Yeah. It definitely is a very scary development. And considering that in order to get a Requiem stand, your stand has to be able to be pierced by the arrow. Like, it has to actually touch it and be pierced by it. This leaves me to believe that there's only two possible characters that this could happen to. And since Polnareff is more than willing to give up the stand arrow to our gang, the only characters with stands with functioning limbs are, of course, Golden Experience and Spice Girl, which are owned by Jorno and Trish. I doubt, I mean, Sticky Fingers too, but I doubt the Sticky Fingers will get a Requiem stand considering that Bruno is at death's door once he gets back into his body. Which is going to happen. Like, I can't imagine that this is going to be a permanent occurrence. They're going to defeat Silver Chariot Requiem one way or another. Ponderev also tells them that the boss is two people. Well, we knew this. We did know this. But they didn't. They didn't know. And this is very important. As the implication here. Notice that that their souls were swapped, right? Yes. But the, the boss is a man with two souls, which is why he has two stands. Correct. King Crimson and Epitaph. Do you think that Diavolo and Dopio were separated because of Silver Chariot Requiem? Hmm. Maybe. Yeah. And, of course, this harkens to the reveal at the end of the episode, which you're so willing to talk about, apparently. Yes! (laughs) So I'll let you finally talk about that. Okay, so we see Diavolo charging at Silver Chair Requiem, who, who has a stand arrow. We see Diavolo, and we're like, okay, uh, okay, this is this has been interesting. And then we see that it's Sticky Fingers. Yeah, we see <gasps> Diavolo yes. summon Sticky Fingers, which, of course, naturally means that Bruno is the one inside Diavolo's body, which means that either Diavolo or Dopio are inside Bruno's body, or both, but probably only one. That'd be more interesting. Which is a good thing for us. Yeah, it allows us to keep the stand arrow. 
have a more direct defeat of Silver Chariot Requiem without the boss intervening. We don't have to deal with King Crimson. There's a lot of really good things here. Yes, yeah, so seeing that was incredible. Sabrino is alive and well inside Diavolo's body, which is so cool. It is so ironic that this is happening, considering, you know, Bruno was the one that fought Diavolo first. Yeah, and got killed by him. Yep, absolutely wrecked. So I'm very excited to see how that continues. Oh, it was so cool, though. I I remember yelling very loudly when we saw that. I was like, oh, fill in the blank. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yes. Oh, it is. I'm excited to see where they go with that. It was really good episodes of anime this week, man. JoJo's and ReZero have been pretty consistently good. Bring back Fruits Basket! I mean, I would like to see more Fruits Basket. Ugh. All right. That is going to do it for episode four of Nerd Explosion. Be sure to check us out on KJAC Spotify, the Candy Clark Spotify, and thecandyclark.com for content published every day. I was your host, the Candy Clark himself, Sean Clark. For John Wintrobe, have a great rest of your day and nerd out.